and welcome back to the Angel Investors Access Show. On this series, we talk to startups, angel investors, VC firms, mentors, coaches, and stakeholders that play a part in the Australian entrepreneurial ecosystem. Proudly brought to you by C2 Angels, helping build a community of like-minded, aspiring angel investors right across Australia and beyond. Have you booked your angel opportunity investment discovery session yet? If not, what are you waiting for? Become an angel investor today and visit c2angels.com. And now let's head to the next episode and join me with our special guest. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Angel Investors Access with your host, Brandon Burns from C2 Angels. Now, I'm excited for today's guest because he is a founder. He's a fund manager at Luxem Group, former senior analyst of funds management and corporate advisory at Salter Brothers, mentor, advisor, and all-round great guy. Joining me from Sydney, but he is a Melbourneian. From Luxem Group, it's Dean Bergen. How are you? Hi, Brandon. Good, thank you, mate. How are you? Very well. It's good to have you on the show, mate, and I appreciate you dressing up for the occasion. Uh, thanks for having us and uh, no trouble at all. Now, I've, I'm excited to have you on the show, mate, to really get that perspective from, from your area of expertise, which is fund management and beyond. Um, one thing we like to do at the start of our show to really paint a picture for our listener who's on the treadmill or driving is really understand a bit deeper understanding of what a typical day in the life of Dean Bergen looks like. <laughs> uh, yeah, right. Okay. So, um, look, probably nothing overly interesting. Um, being in, in the investment game, it's, um, yeah, it's sort of, it's, it requires a variety of, um, of tasks on a daily basis. Obviously, uh, deal flow is, is pretty important to uh, what we do, being investing first and foremost. So, um, obviously, we've, we've put a bit of work into generating that and, and, and on a daily basis, we're sorting through that, um, sort of trying to determine, you know, what, we, uh, what we're seeing, what we like, what we don't like, what we want to proceed with and look more closely at. Um, obviously, that also involves some sort of, you know, relationship management type stuff around that. So, um, obviously, the source of the deal flow, um, you're speaking to, to the source and, and trying to sort of get a feel for what they like about it. Yeah. Um, outside of that, just other people within the network trying to vet opportunities as best we can within the network um, to de-risk de what we're doing. Uh, and on a daily basis, I think that's important. Um, you try to get a front of that uh, as opposed to doing it at the last. Um, but, yeah, look, th that's the bulk of it, really. Investing money requires a fair bit of you know, time and, and research um, on a deal-by-deal -deal basis. So, so Monday to Friday, we do a lot of that. Uh, obviously, there's this you know, in, in normal times, there's a fair bit of meeting involved. So, um, yeah. yeah, whilst the world's going mad and, and you know, it's absolutely digital or more digital than it was, it's, it still requires quite a bit of, you know, face-to-face -face contact and you know, relationship building is, is really at the centre of what we do, um, despite the fact that, you know, that the capital investment is uh, what determines success or failure. Um, I think you know, relationships have a lot to do with that. So constantly managing those. Yeah, Excellent. So tell me about the Luxem Group, how we can check it out so people can Google as we speak and what that key UVP or point of difference is that you just own above and beyond everyone else. Yeah, so um, Luxem is uh, essentially a family office um, that was uh, co-founded by myself and um, a guy named Josh Slattery, yep. uh, who is well, was previously a private client of mine um, and, and an angel investor. Um, so Luxem is yeah, a private family office, I would say very progressive um, as relevant to the Australian market, but also internationally. 
Um, it kind of operates less as a family office and more as a venture fund. Um, so, you know, it's a family office with venture DNA, um, very early stage, uh, what you'd call, you know, um, ESVC slash early private equity um, fund investment strategies and mandates. Um, so, you know, a, a point of difference is, is obviously that we're a family office, but sort of behaving and investing as though we are a venture capital fund. So, um, you know, there are many sources of investment capital available to you know, an early stage business in Australia and, and abroad. Um, and all of those sort of come with their pros and cons. Um, not to say that venture money is not the best money uh, for a given company at a given time, but, but you know, to the contrary, sometimes you know, private family money is, is, is often the best money to a given company at a point in time. So we sort of try to sit in the middle and, and work with venture um, as well as company to ensure that, you know, they are getting a variety of capital at a point in time and, and capital that can benefit the company and the shareholders through the journey. Yeah, I love it, mate. So one thing I'd love to understand from you is, and for our audience listening of aspiring first-time angel investors, you know, you're obviously getting an insight now into someone who's got a comprehensive process and is quite dynamic as an individual when it comes to due diligence, um, assessing opportunity and, and knowing how to execute. I want to hear from you, mate. How have you sharpened the saw and gotten mm. better and better at refining getting to a yes or a no quickly and efficiently? Yeah, so um, I think time in the game is is obviously uh, a good starting point. I think, you know, obviously, it's easier said than done, but you, you really do need to start somewhere and, and enter you know, groups such as yourself. Um, I think you, you've kind of got to learn on the job in order to determine what you really like and, and what you think your focus will be forward. Um, so, you know, like, obviously, I put a fair bit of time into it, both privately, but, you know, um, also with... Um, uh, various employers being you know, Map Capital, Salter Brothers, um, and, and obviously now Luxem. So um, I think you really need to put the work in and, and learn on the job in order to develop in your mind your idea of the best structure that you can implement in order to ensure that at a point in time and forward of it, um, you are doing this to the best of your ability um, and with support structures in place. Because I think it's 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 something that, you know, often starts very loosely uh, and then, you know, it, with time in the game, it transitions into a far more structured approach. And I think that is the best approach, but notwithstanding, it takes a bit of time to get there. So, um, you know, we've been through that uh, process, both myself and Josh collectively. Um, you know, I think our, our perspective is far greater. Uh, that's an important note. So you know, networking is absolutely critical. Um, I think, you know, the, the more brains, uh, looking at one particular deal, you know, the broader the perspective and, and, and probably the better the investment decision when it comes to the crunch. Um, so to the extent you have those networks, um, leverage them. Uh, to the extent you don't, work to build them. Yeah, totally, man. Love it. So let's, let's hit on that biggest mistake or challenge that you've faced that's actually been a really good blessing and a learning lesson that's expedited your growth. Uh, probably failure. <laughs> we love the um, on this show. <laughs> yeah, to, look, look, look. To to put it plainly, I think you know, you, you know, it's an old ale that you, you learn more from your failures than your successes. Um, and you know, possibly in in this game, it's true. And I think um, you know it would be uh, silly to think that you're going to get through you know, entirely unscathed investing in you know one early stage business, ten, 
50, 100, um, you, you are going to have losses. It is inevitable. Um, yep. and, uh, and you should be fully understanding of that sort of going into it. So go in wiser, well, sorry, eyes wide open um, to that fact. Um, and, and I think, you know, no matter the result, whether it's a failure, it's a success, it's you know, somewhere in between um, on that spectrum, learn from it, like actually break it down and try to understand ideally before it happens, what's happening. Um, but, you know, even after the fact, uh, don't just gloss over it because it was a loss and it's too hard to stomach, pick it apart, learn from it, let it fester um, and be better for it next time around. Apply that learning to everything that you do from that point forward and, uh, and you'll be far better off. And I think, you know, eventually in time, um, the results will, will improve on the back of that. Excellent. So let's now go inside the mind of an angel investor. And the reason I ask is because our first time listeners are grappling with taking the plunge, writing their first check and having the confidence to make a move and get into this game. Now, obviously you've talked about having a portfolio of ventures and really having a good spread and doing your DD and taking your time, which I think is great. But maybe give me some of the key questions that you typically would ask a founder who's made an overture or sent a pitch deck or pitched for investment that really give you what you need initially to know that, yes, this is something worth pursuing and someone worth investing in. Mm, yeah. Um, so appreciate that. And, and there's probably two ways to look at this, like, you know, what questions should I ask? And, and, and there's also, um, you know, what questions um, should I ask myself? Do you know what I mean? So I think, yeah, before you get to the point where you're sitting in front of a founder, it's really important to ask yourself questions about what it is um, that you think you're doing, um, how you might like to do it, um, what your perceived risks are, um, and really at the end of the day, what do you want to get out of it? So I think before you're asking founder questions, it's really important to ask some of yourself uh, and to get a better understanding as to, you know, essentially what you expect the journey to be and, and you know, ideally what you would like for it to be. So, um if you don't mind, I might just sort of run through a couple of areas of focus um, that I tend to sort of you know, lean pretty heavily on still to this day. Um, and it's held me in pretty good stead to now. Uh, so alignment, first and foremost, I think um, yeah, to the extent you have a network or, or you're looking to build one, you want to be aligned with it. So, um, yeah, I think with that comes, you know, de-risking your investing. So if you can pick the brains of um, you know, parties you know, outside of your own, that have done this before, even once, twice, three times, well, they're probably you know, two to three times better equipped to do it than you are yourself. So not to sort of scare you off, but but I think it would be remiss of you not to see you know, within your network what um, experience you can draw on before you really get started yourself in order to de-risk the investing that you're going to be doing. Um, so, you know, a question that you would ask yourself is, well, you know, who do I know that's done this before? Um, Am I dealing with that C2? You know, can I get um, you know, further immersed in their network before I really get started so that um, I'm, I'm sort of starting from a, uh, a good place to begin with? Um, focus is another. Yeah, I'm doing this for me, this investing at the end of the day. Obviously, you know, in doing that, you're going to benefit the wider ecosystem. Um, but what do I like? What are my areas of focus by way of investing? What sectors do I like? What subsectors do I like? Starting out, I would suggest that you focus on areas that if you don't already understand them to some extent or sufficiently well, do a bit of research, do a bit of learning, you know, get around those areas of focus that you've identified that you might like to invest in and, um, and become you know, somewhat proficient with key terminology and, and, and mechanics and so on and so forth. 
Um, next one would be the diversification. So like, you know, how hard am I going to go at this space? You know, being early stage investing, angel investing, uh, relative to, to you know, uh, my broader wealth. I think um, it's an important consideration that fund managers like myself on a daily basis are, are sort of looking at. Um, you kind of need to look at the bigger picture in order to determine what the smaller picture should look like. Um, so it's something worth considering. And also you know, human psychology. So if you sort of look in the mirror and, and, and sort of think about yourself and, 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 and probably you know, what you think your strengths are from a personality standpoint or, or you know, characteristics or moral uh, values or so on and so forth, like what do you want to see in a person? And, and typically, um, I think most investors, certainly in the earlier stages, are, are kind of looking for certain characteristics in a founder that they would like to invest in versus certain characteristics in a founder that they would probably prefer not to invest in. Because at the end of the day, you're investing in people. You know, tech aside, product aside, it's all people driven. And I think you know th there is an element of human psychology involved in investing money. So, um, you know, when in front of a founder, ask questions about their personality, characteristics, uh, moral inclinations, so on and so forth. Try and understand the person behind the idea and the product. Love it. Excellent. All right. So. Let's now try and excite our listeners a bit around opportunity because this is something that you see every day and, and no doubt you've gotten better and better at uh, not getting too bored in emotionally to an idea and rather following a process. But I wonder if there are a couple of examples of Australian founders and startups, scale-ups, potentially even unicorns that have really achieved great successes and are a good example of a founder or business that an angel investor just may well have been able to get involved at a ground level and at and, and a, a early stage. Yeah. Um, look, there's, there's plenty of them. Obviously, um, you know, your more notable types, most angel investors, be it you know, new or, or experienced, um, will know of those off the top of their heads. So I won't like list any, but um, I think... We talk about on the show, we talk about, you know, Nick Molnar at Afterpay, Melanie Perkins at Canva, you know, the two guys that tweet Elon Musk at Atlassian. <laughs> Maybe there's an example or two where you've gone, wow, that, that was an opportunity that people may not have realised uh, just may have been a winner, you know? Uh, oh, they're, and, and they're everywhere. And and there are a few that you know of and there's, there's probably a hundred that you don't know of. Um, and, and, and it just goes to show that, you know, like I, I think they all start somewhere, be it, you know, the founder of the business. And I think um, angel investing in and of itself is, is, is absolutely critical to the ecosystem in that that's often where these founders and or businesses get their start, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, whilst there are risks involved, and I keep referring to that because I think it's very important that an angel investor understands that, um, you know, a measured approach uh, to same and, and through a network, I think you can really make a difference and, and, and you are every chance in this maturing ecosystem in Australia in particular to be a part of a journey like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's, look, there's countless examples of, of you know, successful founders and businesses, and, and and more recently, obviously in tech and you know, the uh, buy now pay later companies in this country are thriving, um, and, and will probably continue to do so. But um, yeah, I think the the thing to understand is they all start somewhere. They all take their first check from somewhere, generally a third party, probably an angel investor. So um, with that, you know, comes great opportunity. Um, the success of these businesses and founders will only drive more investment activity at that angel investing stage 
Um, and, and now is a really good time to sort of get involved, roll your sleeves up and, and have a crack to the extent you can afford. Love it. Excellent. All right. Two-part question. Our audience loves the second part of this one. What's been your best piece of advice and from who? And what's been the worst, most horrible piece of advice? Um, I would say that the best piece of advice I was given was that um, it, it's easy to get hung up on principles and, and um, you know, specifically with regard to uh, diversification in, in my caper being funds management. So, for instance, um, not deploying all of your capital into one company uh, and hoping that it wins because statistically the chances of that happens are yeah, pretty slim. Um, but at the same time, I think doing too much um, is, is also counterproductive. So some of the probably best advice I received early on was don't try to do too much, but certainly don't do too little. Like find the balance that you think works for you based on your investment objectives um, and back yourself to do it. So again, don't do too little, certainly, but at the same time, don't do too much. Know what you want to do, you know, source the deal flow, vet the deal flow, invest in it and stay with it and learn from it all the way through. Yes. Um, worst advice I ever got? Let's make uh, um, Don't hold back. <laughs> I'm just trying to think, to be honest. Um, being when you've witnessed, you know, someone else being given poor advice. Uh, one thing we talk about on this show, because we have a lot of founders that tune in, is timing. You know, a lot of founders struggle with the filter of knowing how to not take on advice as much as they'd like to absorb everything. And timing sometimes can make good advice completely irrelevant at another mm. time. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's probably like probably the best answer I can offer is that it's, it's not specific to a piece of advice, but more where it comes from and why. So, you know, just because you receive advice from a person within your network outside of it, someone that on paper um, or by word of mouth appears to be better qualified than you are, doesn't mean that you shouldn't interrogate it yourself. So yep. I would say you know, um, most important that you form your own view prior, uh, take on advice, hear it out, but at the same time, you know, pick it apart. Yeah. Try and bridge the gap between your own uh, thoughts or, or views uh, and that of you know, the um, offer of the advice that you've received. Yeah, I have to ask, mate, what are you reading and listening to right now? Not a lot. <laughs> um, look, look, Amazing podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, look, look, obviously podcasts are, um, you know, available. I think uh, for the layman, the pitch is really good. It's obviously a, quite a um, popular uh, podcast, but like, you know, for instance, I myself as a fund manager listen to it regularly. Um, and, you know, whilst you're probably not always taking good learnings away because you, you'd like to think with time in the game and experience that, you know, you have sort of come across these learnings yourself over the journey. Um, I think some of the time there is stuff in there that I'm probably not thinking about. And as a result of listening, I'm, I'm thinking about more and more often. So um, that I think is a good one. Reading, I'm reading a lot of um, uh, investment decks <laughs> and, and, and don't have a lot of time outside of that to, to sort of enjoy um yeah, any other materials of my liking. Um, so at the moment, I'm, I'm kind of buried in that stuff. It's been a pretty busy period on the deal flow side. So probably uh, a little bit too focused on that at the minute to, to sort of look elsewhere for, for good information and good materials. Yeah. Uh, I have a question for you around 
uh, FOMO syndrome. And mm. this is something that you, you no doubt have a, a way to mitigate. But um, like all funds, um, there are themes that exist. There are guidelines around what you like to consider and what you don't. What do you do in the situation when something comes across your desk, which you don't wish to act upon from a fund perspective, but personally you just think, oh, my God, this is an amazing opportunity. And the reason I ask is because at C2 Angels, as people know, listening and watching, we're all about creating confident and new angel investors, but we're also all about improving the communication between startup and funder. Okay, so we want more pathways to be created so that outcomes can be achieved. And I'm keen to hear with someone of your experience, when you choose not to move on something because it doesn't meet your criteria, but you think it's an amazing opportunity, where to next? Yeah, so I think um, uh, a specific to Luxem, like I, I kind of tend to co-invest uh, with Luxem in, in most of the deals it does purely because, you know, I, yeah, um, a hand in authoring the investment strategy and mandates. Obviously, th those are two things that I, I believe in. Um, and, and to the extent I can afford to at a point in time, I'll, I'll, I'll co-invest with Luxem and through Luxem in a given opportunity that is a um, investment strategy and mandate fit. Um, but yeah, often there are you know, early stage companies that come across our desk that aren't probably a, a perfect fit or even a fit um, for any of our investment strategies or mandates. Um, but are compelling. So I think at that point, you, you make a pretty quick call um, within the fund to say, look, it, it just doesn't fit the investment strategy and mandate. I think you've, you've got to be disciplined um, in, in ensuring that your strategy and your mandates have integrity at all times. So what it says is what it says, and you abide by the rules at all times. But privately, hey, like, you know, if, if it fits, you know, inside of a private sweet spot, um, by all means, go for it. And I think, you know, something that is synonymous with funds management in the early stage is that most fund managers are also prolific angel investors. Yeah. And, and that is because a fund has a far more rigid focus because it has to um, than the angel investor, him or herself. So I think um, what you'll find is that you, know, you might socialise a deal with uh, an investment fund and it's not a good fit for them, but there are fund managers looking at that and, and, and you know, oftentimes that fund manager is looking at it from a personal perspective saying, well, it's not a fun fit. I'm free to have a look at it myself. And, and, and they do. So, you know, the best opportunities that sort of don't fit in the fund funnel um, are often picked up by fund managers. that are also angel investors. Um, and yeah, that, that sort of filters down into the, the, the broader angel network and, and ideally at C2 angels and the likes get a, a piece of it as well. Yeah. Excellent. So for a founder listening, that's encouraging to hear because a no uh, at a fund level doesn't necessarily mean a no overall and yeah. really cast the net wide, you know, and um, get an answer either way from at least 20, 30 uh, stakeholders because, as you can see, people do afford the time to check out a deal and an opportunity, uh, and that's good to hear that that's happening in Australia. Okay, the next question I've got for you, Dean, because I know I'm running out of your precious time. But the next question is, how does an Australian opportunity as an investment opportunity stack up for an American investor or an overseas investor compared to opportunities they may source either in their own country or in other overseas markets? You know, what do we need to learn or what do we need to improve 
or add to the mix of our businesses and startups here, if anything, to make them competitive and appealing to an international angel investor? Yeah, um, good question. I think the maturing ecosystem in Australia, in particular over the last five years, um, it's come a long, long way to the extent that it's essentially now a prerequisite of this market here in Australia that an investable early stage business is scalable and 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 massively scalable. So, um, for instance, your business model isn't strictly applicable to the Australian market, which, um, you know, from a broader world perspective, is is quite shallow due to the size of population, um, you know, the size of capital market that underpins same, so on and so forth. So. I think your business model must be scalable in order to attract the ire of uh, international capital, be that fund capital, angel capital, or somewhere in between. It, it's got to be a scalable business model um, in order to attract their attention and, and ideally capital. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we see a lot in Australia, you know, an overwhelming amount of B2B SaaS models and businesses being funded. And we all know the appeal and the growth and, and the trajectory that they can go on. But maybe I'd love to ask you right now, given the circumstances we're in and, you know, the predictions that you foresee, what's maybe a vertical industry or even a problem that you can see as something glaring and needing to be solved that maybe hasn't been as focused on that could potentially become a real big market opportunity? Yeah, I think for mine, agriculture is a space that I'm watching pretty closely. I just feel that you know, much of that industry, be it in Australia um, or abroad, is, is still somewhat primitive. It hasn't really changed uh, by way of you know, the way it operates today versus the way it operated you know, 50, 100 years ago in some cases. Um, and mind you, I think you know, in this global environment, you know, capital environment, socio-political environment, um, it's sort of really important to ensure that your people have food, right? So I think nations themselves are starting to look at this. That is a flow-on effect. Um, and I think that area is already attracting massive capital investment, but I think it hasn't scratched the surface. Um, and I think, yeah, for the Australian ecosystem, that that is an area um, that I think Australia uh, and the early stage investment ecosystem can excel in given obviously yeah, the agricultural fruits of Australia, um, the size of industry, like they are some of Australia's biggest industries, the agricultural industries here, um, you know, beef, seafood, um, so on and so forth. So I think some great innovation can come out of Australia um, and also draw the attention of, of the rest of the world given the size of market here, um, but also the scalable nature of it given it is a global problem. Yeah, excellent, mate. Um, Absolutely love it. You've been so generous with your time and, and being so um, transparent with your responses. And I think both founders and aspiring angels are going to get a lot out of this. We're going to have to hold you to a part two and maybe we might even be entice some of your partners and colleagues onto the show with you next time because this is a really great discussion we've got going. I want to ask, is there one key thing in your universe that we as a community, network and audience can shine a light on, better collaborate and really help make uh, happen for you? Yeah, uh, totally. I, I think I've spoken a fair bit about relationships and, and, and the ecosystem and, and it really is um, you know, a partnership and I think you know, there, are, there are levels to it or layers to it and everyone sort of plays a role, be that the angel investor that's starting out, the prolific angel investor, the fund manager, the investment fund or the venture fund, 
um, right through to PE and beyond. Um, I think, you know, the, the greater the interaction between those groups and, and um, probably in an organised fashion, the better off we all are. Um, I think the cream rises to the top when everyone's talking. So it is a supportive industry. Uh, you've got to put the work in. You've got to build relationships for yourself, extend your network, always look to extend your network, uh, look to add value, not just accept it. Um, yeah, and I think the more the angel investors and, and the likes of us and, and uh, obviously venture funds speak uh, top down, bottom up, the better off we'll be. Like it can expedite the, um, the continued maturity of the ecosystem and I think the results will be um, massive innovation coming out of Australia. Well, Dean Bergen, our best-dressed guest to date. Especially Thanks, Brandy. Congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> the Luxem Group and, uh, you know, founder and amazing uh, contributor in our ecosystem. We really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for being on the show. No problem, Brandon. Thanks for having us and uh, look forward to doing it again soon. And that's all we have time for today on the Angel Investors Access Show, your series with Brandon Burns from C2 Angels. If you're thinking about becoming an angel investor and you don't know where to start, then you know exactly where to head, c2angels.com, and book your angel investment opportunity discovery session now. Until next time, I'm Brandon Burns, and I'll catch you later.